0: This is the product I've really, really been waiting for. I I kind of been saying this every time lately. We just did iPhone 13, but now we've got MacBook Pros. And so I brought Stephen Hackett because I feel like you could share this excitement with me. Like you you can get as hyped as I am, right?
1: I was so amped up for this event. Like... I mean, they did the phone, and you know we had iPads and stuff. But I was like, okay, the Macs are left, right? And these MacBook Pros have been rumored for so long. Yeah, it's it's super exciting to finally have them.
0: And this is this is the product that is my product, right? I I feel like I, I keep kind of blowing my um, Apple excitement, my Apple. My street cred of being able to say I'm not an Apple fanboy because on the <laughs> Mac Pro I got super excited, and on the sure. M1 laptops I got super excited, and on the M1 i, I Macs, I'm like this is all amazing. Apple can do no wrong. Well, not can do no wrong, but they were doing very well. They were making me happy. Yeah. How many times can I just be like, yeah, they nailed it out of the park? But this is the one that is the laptop, the computer, the machine that I use for everything. Mm-hmm. So I really mean it this time. I'm excited. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's what's so exciting about this whole transition, right, is a uh, sort of a once in a generation thing. You know, we all remember, at least I do because I'm old, the PowerPC to Intel transition. And that was really exciting, too, because we were getting these machines that are two, three, four times faster. And now we're doing it again. But some of the Apple... Numbers, you know, it, we're early on in this, so you know, not everyone has benchmarked everything. But the Apple numbers release are like five, six, seven, eight, nine times faster on certain things, and that just doesn't happen all the time. And to your point, when it happens to like the machine that you use every day, like that's totally reasonable to get excited about. Yeah.
0: Okay, good. Thanks for justifying yeah. my feelings. We're in the same,
1: this. the same excitement boat here.
0: Yeah. Um. And I, I didn't make any notes for this show, but like where to start and where to go, because there's, there's just, there's infinite ground to cover. So we're going to be all over the place with this. I didn't do a reaction episode of the podcast, which usually I'd like to do, but um, it's because I've just been actually really busy with production stuff, um, which I I thought actually I'd maybe start by talking about a little bit. Uh, I mean, it's it's not so much what you do, but I know you make videos, so maybe you'll also find it interesting, but it's where my head's been a lot lately because we've been doing all this commercial production. Um, Marco, who's producing the show right now, came with us as well. We were doing basically a full campaign of photo and video stuff for a mall in Toronto and it was it was super interesting. Like i have just the reason tech's been exciting for a while is because it's allowing us to do types of jobs in creation that would have required a bigger crew so recently. And I knew that's that, that's not an original statement. Like we all know that, but you can see it in terms of um what I was thinking about today as I was watching other YouTubers' MacBook Pro unboxing videos. I was like, the average of YouTube has been visibly elevated in. The last five years, you know, since I really started doing YouTube seriously, everybody looks better. Everybody's video is higher quality and sharper and better lit and the audio is better. And it's because of the products. So when I feel like maybe I'm getting too excited, like focusing on the gear, that's something that reminds me that, like, we're making better stuff because of this gear. So the fact that, you know, I can have these all in one cameras that are able to shoot 8K an 8K RAW and have you know all of the built-in NDs and uh, preamps and are able to be loaded onto relatively small gimbals and we can have a small crew of you know just between four and six of us on this shoot and get really really high quality stuff. I don't know. I just I want to keep reminding myself to be excited. <laughs> about the, the tech that we have available for us. I know on the camera side, though, you got excited, too. You recently made a new purchase. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so I ended up pre-ordering the, uh, the Sony a7 IV. Uh, I have the a7 III now and really love it. I had the a7R two before that. I've been kind of in the Sony Alpha line for a while. And um, I won't lie, part of my excitement was just like the new menu system because, oh boy, the old one. And I've Mm -hmm. used the new one. It still has its own point of view on things. I was like, oh, this one won't make me want to pull my hair out maybe. Uh, But yeah, I'm excited about it. There's no ship date for it. I ordered it on the first day and it's like, you'll get it in the future. So uh, that's kind of how things are in 2021, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's everything right now. But no, I'm really also excited about that camera too. Uh, You know, in the past... I mean, I have done episodes that are like fully dedicated to new cameras like this. And the, the Sony a7 IV is the kind of camera that deserves a, a whole episode. I didn't get a review unit, so I haven't tried one yet. So maybe that's why I can't talk in, in depth about it. I did watch the reviews, but it's another one of those very exciting ones. Like, do we have a new best choice for full hybrid yeah. camera? Like, yeah. you know, maybe and it, it's it, you know- a contender.
1: And that's really what I want. I mean, I'm doing a mix of photo and video, and you know, some of the creature comforts with it, like the flip-out screen. Like I work here, you know, most of the time by myself, and so just having those little things, having the full HDMI poured out, and you know, before we even get to the increased performance and the better color and everything else that they're bringing with it, um, you know, Sony has just—I feel like you and I talk about this every time I'm on. Like Sony just seems relentless. Like they are just. Mm -hmm it's every 18 months or whatever the time frame is like, we're, there's going to be a new one. We're going to improve this, this and this. And they, I mean, for years now, it's really been impressive to watch. They're taking it this market very seriously. Yeah.
0: It feels like eight months. It, it just, <laughs> yeah, it feels like you know, <laughs> maybe it's, not, it's actually, <laughs> this was the first time. I mean, it probably was about 18 months. I mean, you know, it was longer f- between the a seven three and a seven four. And mm-hmm. it felt like an eternity because we'd gotten so used to these this instant yeah. update cycle. On the, yeah. 70s. the only thing that makes it feel like it's, it's a bit of a hard um, like camera that I could just have for everything with no other cameras available is no f- or very cropped 4k 60. That, that would be a little hard to work with because so often I switch back and forth and all of a sudden I'd need two varieties of lenses available to shoot in both yeah. of them. So that's like the one thing that makes it feel like, well, I would still need another camera, unfortunately. But I I don't think that would affect you as much because you shoot less slow motion. I don't, yeah. I don't know. You shoot a bit differently than I do.
1: Yeah, hardly ever anything is in slow motion. And if I if I do, like, again, I'm mostly shooting products and talking to cameras. So I never have the the pressure you have trying to do a commercial shoot with people standing there and, you know, a client with a deadline. And so... For me, like, changing that stuff out isn't a big deal. I mean, everything I do is in 4K30. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about it. And it's been impressive to me to watch Sony really fill out the gaps in their product line. When they first sort of started, it's like, you, you have the R and you have the S, and you kind of have to choose between them. And now you have this middle ground, and then you have the A9. Like, I don't know. I just, I've been, I've been really impressed watching them take this on and like wade right into the middle of the of the sort of the battlefield between all these other companies and uh you know it's my th- third yeah my third sony sort of in this family and i'm i'm ha- really happy there
0: nice well yeah i mean if anybody hasn't watched steven's videos because you're not just a podcaster you're a youtuber too uh youtube.com slash 512pixels
1: Yes, um, it is uh it's been a minute since I've published something, but it's how all the it's how it goes sometimes. I've been busy with all these boxes in the background, so you know. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, you've yeah. got a, another project on the go. You've got a Kickstarter that is
1: Yeah, I did a Kickstarter. I'm in the middle of fulfillment. And so it smells like cardboard and glue in here in a way that I can't like I, op- I when I'm out here and I'm not recording, I have the windows open because it's just like it smells like a warehouse. What can
0: I say? All right. Well, it looks looks like you're being very productive. So congrats on a successful Kickstarter. This episode is brought to you by privacy.com. Privacy is a tool that makes it easy to manage your financial lives online while keeping your most important information secure. By generating virtual numbers, privacy masks your bank information so you never have to worry about giving it out to people you don't know online. I know I've had moments where I've been concerned about my privacy. The best example is when my iPhone was stolen and all of a sudden I'm thinking, wait, what information can be accessed right now? Like all of a sudden you become very aware of anything that might be floating out there online. So having a service that gives you some of that reassurance that you don't don't have to worry in those stressful moments can be incredibly comforting. Take back control of your payments, decide who can charge your card, how much and how often, and you can close cards at any time. Plus, you can make sure that you're never accidentally billed twice or upgraded to another service without your consent. And privacy is partnered with the good folks at 1Password, so you can create, use and save privacy cards directly within your 1Password dashboard. All virtual cards created in 1Password have the same security benefits as your other privacy cards, and you can set spend limits create single-use or merchant-locked cards whenever you want. Head to privacy.com slash Stallman to sign up for an account, and new members are going to get $5 to spend on those brand new accounts. Again, go to privacy.com slash Stallman to check it out, and thanks again to Privacy for supporting the show. Um, Speaking of the production stuff, uh, maybe I'll start by just talking about the video that I released this morning, yeah. It was great. Uh, as of as of recording, which was the kind of the first video about the new MacBook Pros. I if you haven't watched it, I got the M. No oh man saying these names. I will never get it right. It's, M1, it's so bad. Max <laughs> MacBook Pro. So yeah, is is that that's the correct phrasing, right? That's how I titled it in the video. M1 yeah. Max MacBook Pro.
1: I think so. I think I think in this era, we're putting the processor name first. But you know. Mm-hmm. Apple likes to reuse names, like four things mean MagSafe and Max and Max sound the same. It's all very, it's, it's confusing.
0: (laughs) They do. I mean, every, everyone's going to say that we all, we all have to say it because we all have to like just slightly shame Apple just a little bit for making our lives so difficult that we need to, you can't, you can't pronounce Max and Max differently. It Mm -mm. is the same. They are homonyms. They are the same. Yeah, so uh, I certainly can't I mean, do
1: it. You know, maybe people it, from yeah. more distinguished parts of the country can, but Mox with the Max. southern accent, they come out the same, you know? Sure, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so you got the M1 Max. Um, yeah. But within that, there's some variation, right? So what, were well, you are all the way cranked all the way up on the CPU and GPU and memory or?
0: Yes, everything is cranked. It's what I'm streaming from right now. Um And it's, yeah, it's basically fully spec'd out except for the hard drive, which, you know that's kind of up to you how big you want to make it, but uh, yeah, it's got all the RAM, it's got all the all the CPU, GPU, everything possible, not binned. Um, so I'm getting the best possible experience with it right now. I mean, this is as good as it gets, and so far it's it's been very, very good. The, <laughs> it should the, be, <laughs> as, you, as you would have seen in the in the video, um, the ways that I was able to test it. Like I wasn't able to really run the the benchmarks that are you know, tests, like timing, doing a lot of things where I'm timing it versus one computer versus the other, because that stuff takes so much longer than anybody would imagine. I mean, first of all, just takes as long as the export, right? So uh, I had started by, I was like, okay, we'll do an import of 500 photos, which is a pretty normal working scenario. And then I started, we started the import and I was like, wait a minute, this is going to take like half an hour per (laughs) for for the long one. Uh, So that is not really an option. So anyway, we, we ran as many tests as we could quickly, but it did mean we can go super in depth it was more about actually working with the footage that we had been shooting and the fo- photos that we've been taking, um, which were enormous. We shot a bunch of 8K specifically for this 8K raw in Canon um, raw light codec, which is a very intensive codec to run on any computer. And i I do want to say that I feel like I didn't give that enough credit in my video i cite slightly under in, i justine did a better job of of how she showed it and spoke about it because you basically can't play back canon raw light uh on or or any of the canon raw footage on normal computers. It is too heavy to play back on on like everything and uh you can totally work with it in my video i, I had started off being in full quality mode in final cut. And I couldn't quite handle that. It was a bit stuttery, but that's never how I usually edit. I always edit in performance mode in my normal day-to-day life. Cause none of my computers could handle quality mode for anything, like for anything. Yeah. It, it was it's never... like a switch
1: that says impossible on the other side. <laughs> yeah. <of>
0: yeah. It. <laughs> yeah to turn it to hard mode. Like, yeah, it's just so the enemies kill you as soon as you spawn. Um, <laughs> So I, I I should have emphasized how interesting it is that that codec is even playable um, because it's crazy. And then, uh, yeah, what we ended up doing later was after it's transcoded to ProRes, this was the most exciting part of the video. Then we stacked six layers of it. I, I could have done more, um, played that in a loop, and then started opening every single application that was yeah. available on the computer and the loop never slowed down. It just kept playing smoothly. Six streams of 8K all at once. So that that was the highlight of of my day.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I was watching it uh, and I got to that point. I just texted you in like all capital letters. I mean, <laughs> they, they said this in the keynote. Um, you know, Apple for a while has had basically built-in video encode decode blocks. You know, a bunch of Intel CPUs have them. And, of course, Apple Silicon CPUs have them. And the M1 Max has twice as uh, I think it's four encode decode blocks versus two. I think on the M1 Pro, whatever it is, it's double. And yep. they've added progress support to that with these new processors. And I mean, effectively, what they've done is they they've taken the you know the Afterburner card that you could slap into a Mac Pro and just built it into every system on a chip. And they said in the keynote that. Uh, I forget the exact number, but basically the 8K playback was better. It could do more than the 28-core Mac Pro with an Afterburner card in it. And this is a laptop that you can then sling on your backpack and, like, take across the world. I mean, I'm I'm finding myself, as we learn more about these machines, like, having to recalibrate <laughs>
0: what a notebook can do.
1: Like, I'm, I mean, it sounds I, yeah, silly, no, but I'm totally there. yeah.
0: yeah. It's getting harder and harder to talk about hardware because it's so much less, it's less straightforward than it was very recently, you know, just a few years ago. And I've talked about this a few times, but the the structure of these system on a chip architectures is confusing, especially because we grew up being taught what RAM does and how that interacts Mm -hmm. with the slower spinning hard disk and, you know, what it means to have a logic board interfacing all those items and how you need to optimize it all is about to be very different. And we're going to have to really relearn all those intricacies because it means every single app is going to take advantage of it differently. So that's another reason that the benchmarks are not super interesting, especially like, let's say, the the GPU benchmarks, because, um, you know, I think the best reason to be maxing out your processor on these isn't because you want uh the most gpu cores i think it's to get those video encode decode blocks that you were just talking about that's what's going to make the crazy difference it's that there's dedicated hardware that's doing nothing but you know opening and saving your uh prores and h264 and hevc files like that's that you know you you don't even need that you're not using the gpu for that as far as I understand it, do you, do, have you used a Mac pro with the um, afterburner? Like, do you have an afterburner card or no?
1: Yeah, I do. And do. yeah, if you look in, into activity monitor or like a third party utility, the GPU usage when you're on the afterburner is extremely low. And, and really it's designed to take that load off of the GPU and off the CPU. So they can handle the other things you're doing in your edit and to have that built into like the system on a chip, but not even as an option, it just comes with it. Uh, it's really cool. And I think that uh, we are really going to see what Apple can do now that it has control of the whole pipeline end to end. And I think this is like, you know, for me, the biggest example of it so far.
0: Working with your Mac pro, do you find have you found bottlenecks in the time that you've had it? Are there still moments where you're like you're waiting and you feel like uh you know, I'd rather not be?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't do any uh anything in 8k. Uh and with 4K 30, usually, you know, usually. shooting shooting on the Sony, it's all totally fine. Uh mm-hmm. I don't feel like I've ever really hit a wall with it. It's it's more than enough machine for for my needs for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the feeling I have too. Like still, 8k is such a limited use case uh we just we just did it so we could test it this is the first time i shot an 8k just so we could do this and i'm probably not gonna do it again anytime soon like it's not (laughs) it's not a common format but there, there are a ton of roadblocks that i was hitting all the time um you know both myself and also uh marco when he's editing the videos like we were really starting to struggle especially after buying the canon r5 um, Maddie Hapoya mentioned this in his video as well. That like a lot of the reason he had switched from Canon to Sony is because he just couldn't edit those R5 videos anymore. Um, and I know that we were getting a bit of that feeling where it's like they were just so chunky and slow to to work with that you almost couldn't get things done, and you would need to transcode them to work with it. So that's the kind of thing that this opens up. Uh, that that's the important types of workflow that this will make available is these great 4K cameras that everybody's using and everybody loves, but you needed to transcode them before. Like that's not really viable and becomes a a significant problem, like having to generate proxies every single time. The proxy generation takes longer than it would to edit. So having that real-time flexibility to just Drop them into your project. Start working. Nothing needs to happen in between. Or if you decide to transcode or generate proxies, it's going to be fast as well. Um, one other spec that we left out: uh, Mark was generating the the 8K ProRes files. That was so that was like 88 gigs of pro uh, sorry of 8K raw, and it took about 12 minutes to to turn that all into the ProRes file. So also that you know when when you do need to transcode it, it's also fast. It's fast and it's on a laptop.
1: Uh, one thing that I'm, I'm curious about, and you're probably the best person to ask, because what I like about re- your review, I know that you are probably exhausted from a very busy, <laughs> very busy weekend. Uh, but when you're sort of in those heavy-duty tasks, like what's the fan noise like? You know, does, is this machine getting hot? Because we've never really seen a high-end Apple silicon chip before.
0: I'm just I'm feeling it right now, some because we're streaming off of it, right? And sometimes actually streaming is pretty heavy on on any computer. There's definitely no fan noise at all. And it is not war- like the, the place that heat usually gathers is towards the back. And there's absolutely none at the moment. Um, the only time the fans would really kick in is either a, a longer export, which we didn't do many of, or the transcodes. Definitely every time you'd start transcoding, put a whole bunch of files in there and say, okay, chew through these as fast as you can. It would always kick in the fans every time. But uh, none of the exports did never working in final cut at all. Like none of the playback, none of the photography stuff turned on the fans. The only example is transcoding dozens of l- wow. really large videos. So it, I mean, that's great. It, it, like it, oh, podcasters. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, I was going to say, it's hard to explain what it's like to have a silent computer until you have one. So for me, the first one was the iMac pro in 2017 I had had a 5K iMac and I knew like, okay, there's certain things that I'm going to hear this computer with. Right. And that's just how it was. And then I got an iMac pro it's like, Oh, I never hear it. And now with the Mac pro, I don't think I've ever heard the fans. And it's actually like on a table next to my desk, kind of ear height. And it is, it is such as quality of life improvement, especially if you're in production and, Your machine is doing things, you know, while you're trying to record. Uh, It really is a game changer. I mean, I remember a really
0: common example is is doing screen recordings, you know, like when you're trying to record what you're doing and the mic needs to be near your computer because that's where your face is and it's the same computer that's recording itself. I've never been able to do that without the fans kicking in before and you would always hear them and I need to run noise reduction. By the way, if anybody hears any fans in this recording i mean we will try to filter them out later but it's the light that is near me it's not the computer
1: yeah that is that is cool and apple said that in the keynote like hey we're not gonna you're not the fans aren't even gonna spin for most everyday tasks and sometimes apple says things like that and you're like yeah but like what's an everyday task right like is that safari but then when i open chrome i'm gonna hear the fans and it sounds like so far like maybe if anything they are over delivering on this. I mean, I would have figured that that doing exports would have spun those things up. That's that really impresses me.
0: This episode is brought to you by Flipboard. It is a awesome way to discover new content about any of your interests on your phone, your iPad or your computer. It's an app or web client that basically gives you a magazine like experience about the exact things that you are interested in. So not only can it suggest topics that are gonna be relevant to what you've told them that you're interested in, but you can follow specific things like, of course I follow technology and Apple, so I can get all of the latest Apple news there in a really beautiful, easy to browse experience. And if you find an article you like, you can share that with anybody that's following you. So I would highly recommend you guys follow me out there and see what I've been posting lately. That's just flipboard.com slash Stallman. There's also great specific subcategories. So for example, in photography, they've added a bunch of new features lately. I could be browsing All stories are just general photography interest, but I can narrow that down to things like the shot, which is just like daily inspiration of amazing work. If I go into the video section, I can see great recommendations like, well, right now I can see the live stream of this podcast is being recommended. Yes, I will definitely share that. And there's photo events. You can sign up for local classes. There's photo of the day and community, just all these ways to engage with exactly the type of content that you are interested in, which I'm going to guess probably involves Apple Photography, cinematography. So if you're into any of those things, again, go to Flipboard.com slash Stallman. Find me over there and see what I've been posting lately. Thanks again to Flipboard for supporting the show. I mean, I've got to assume that's a lot of the reason this thing is so thick, which yeah, but I spent some time on this because it is the first thing that strikes you. Like as soon as you're holding it, you're like, this is big. Like this is a really big laptop. Because <laughs> there, there has been this connection of, especially with Apple, that it's like the future means thinner, right? It, this yeah. is new. So it's thinner. There's this very direct, um, it's become almost an emotional expectation of like, this is what it means for a new Apple product to be in my hands is I'll, I'll feel this slimness and it got much bigger. Like, it can immediately feel it. It's like, you know, a quarter thicker or something. Um, especially once it's on a table, cause the feet are also pretty large, but all of that extra size must be the reason that it is able to do this. I I assume, I don't think that the fans are just so much more efficient. I think there's just a lot of room for airflow. There's obviously some kind of heat sinks. There's just a lot of places for the heat to go in this very large enclosure. And again, I'm on the 16 inch. I know the difference is a bit smaller on the 14 inch. Um, but I, I, but I also, I really want to get my hands on a 14 inch, like a base, um, maybe not like the, the lowest low end, I feel like it's kind of weird that it's, it's not what they were talking about in the keynote it was the, there's like a 14 that is below what they were talking about in the keynote, but let's say the one that the, the, the basics of the M1 pro chip are, are based on, I want to get my hands on that and see, like, is this all you need for most pro workflows? Cause I have a feeling it really is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, th- the thickness is really interesting. Uh, a, cause it's such a change of pace for Apple But I also kind of wonder if they're building themselves in some future proofing so they can use this chassis for, you know, years to come. So when we're on the M three pro or M three max, that they still have that headroom for it to behave the way that it wants to. Um, I did order a 14 inch. The 16 is just too big for me. I mean, it's a secondary machine and I don't need a laptop that big. Um, And, so I am I am too curious about how how the differences are going to be because I can tell you on the Intel MacBook Pros back in – I almost said back in the day. They just quit selling the 16-inch like way, four way days back. ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it really did make a big difference, especially once they rolled out that 16 that had the better cooling. The 16-inch MacBook Pro, like in terms of just the way that it behaved thermally, was really different from other ones. And so I am, I am curious about that. But I'm also encouraged that they're willing to make things thicker and heavier. And I'm sure we'll get to the ports. I'm sure that's another reason. But the, the thought that I had uh, in watching this keynote and then to, again today watching you know all the hands-on stuff is thinking back to that Mac Pro roundtable probably six years ago now where Apple said, oh, we are going to make a Mac Pro. Uh, and Mm. we're going to make a professional iMac and we had that, but then we had these years of like really bad MacBook pros in hindsight, right? The bad keyboards, the limited ports, the touch bar, really thin enclosures, pretty bad thermal performance. And it's like, I feel like these MacBook pros almost came out of the mindset that led to the iMac pro and the Mac pro as well. Like yeah, pros need certain things. And those things can be different than what consumers want. Like Apple Mm -hmm. go nuts on a consumer notebook, making it thin and light. That's what people want, right? If you're taking a laptop to and from work to your office or to school, thin and light is great. But professionals need and want more. And we don't care so much about the thickness and weight. We prioritize other things. And I finally feel like Apple has begun to set different priorities on different machines for the first time in, you know, close to a decade, probably. Too long.
0: It feels like it's following through with a a comment I made about the iPhone 13 Pro. And and, and this was also starting to happen last year with the 12. But the features that make it Pro are also more um, appreciated by Pros. Like, they're a little more specifically catering to like, no, what do you really do with the pro workflow? Whereas for a while, what we started to have was this different, uh, identifying differently with what the branding of pro would mean. And it would mean aspirational. It'd be the same as like adding the word addition to the most expensive watch. It just means you say pro and it just means like it's expensive and it's nicer, but now the things that they're adding and a great example on the iPhone is pro res, for example, ProRes is such a, Pro feature, like it eats up all of your storage. Even most professionals don't need it. Like it's a very niche pro requirement to record to such a large codec. But doing that and making it exclusively available on the pros is like, is, is recognizing that there are people that do this for work and are happy to make zero compromises if it means a larger size or it means, I mean, that's, (laughs) that's the biggest thing or having more ports, which is not a compromise, but basically basically all of this just leads to the the single trade off is the computer being bigger like that's all that we were losing all those things for is to slim the computer down and, and to simplify it so like you know basically that imp- first impression i had of like oh the this the whole thing feels really large right now that's what we were trading off all those years this the slimness was a way of allowing us to to you know um I don't know, go in, go in a direction that I'm very happy for not going anymore. So, yeah, know, it's, it's a good year to be a pro.
1: I just uh, recently rewatched that 2016 MacBook Pro keynote mm-hmm. and what really jumped out at me, knowing now, you know, what we didn't know then of how that generation of machines was going to play out. The thing that killed me was They say, hey, you know, the MacBook Air is still there. This is before the MacBook Air was Retina, before it was good again. It was that really old MacBook Air. They're like, oh, and the the 13 inch MacBook Pro is actually smaller than the MacBook Air, and that stuck out at me at the time. But in hindsight, it really jumps out as you have made some decisions here to prioritize things that your customers don't necessarily um, don't necessarily care about as much as you think they do and and at, at the cost of of performance and capability and quality of life things like fan noise and heat you know so it is it is so interesting to see them walk all this back in a changed direction and uh, i'm sure that wasn't easy for everybody involved but it was clearly the right call and i would imagine that apple's pretty happy with the the response they're getting so far from the the community of people whose, you know, livelihoods depend on machines like these.
0: There's an element that we don't talk about enough that is uh, what, what to me is a defining feature of pro products, and that is headroom. It's just the ability to do more than you. Typically, do um, if you are maxing out whatever product it is you're using, whether it's a a camera or even a, 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 a Thunderbolt cable or a computer or a monitor. Like if you're using it at the absolute peak of its performance all the time, it's probably not a great choice for you. You probably need something more because. Uh, ideally you'd usually be operating at something like 80% capacity for any product you're using. So there is always that extra space where you're able to still sort of fill the void. um, And and you're not pushing it to such extremes that you are now being held back by the technology. Um, And that's a lot of what will really be exciting and interesting to normal people about this. Like even though most people that are going to buy these aren't um, pros in the way that we're talking about right now. Like they may not be doing high-end production. They will absolutely still appreciate quiet fan noise. Cause sometimes Dropbox is enough to spin up your fans. You know what I mean? Oh um, yeah. Th- there's or, or, or zoom <laughs> or uh, like my, I know my, like Microsoft server that will run when screen share there, there are so many examples of basic everyday things that use up way more system resources than should ever be considered reasonable. And we want to be able to be at a point where like, it is not stressing the computer to do these things. Mm-hmm. It's it should be trivial to do these things. Yeah. And if you get a base model of either the 14 or the 16 inch, it looks like you're going to be able to do every, every, everything like what, what can a normal person do to stress these machines. I haven't found anything yet. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I mean, even as, you know, someone who's primarily a podcaster, it's like, I don't think Logic's going to push these machines, you know. uh, Maybe some plug-in stuff, but that headroom is really impressive. Uh, But something you said really caught my attention is, you know, it's not just pros who make their living doing this stuff who, who buy these machines. And, you know, I think about even like a younger version of me in college, approximately 220 years ago, um, I had a power book and it wasn't necessarily because an iBook wouldn't meet my needs, but it was partially aspirational. You know, I think that's one reason like things like the 12 inch power book were so loved because you could have something higher end that you could grow into. And even if you never grew into its full capabilities, those capabilities give you longevity in the product, right? Uh, we talk about this in terms of the iPhone, right? Like, the processor in this 13 Pro Max is ridiculous for what this phone does today, but it means this is still going to be a viable phone in five or six years. And I think we can begin to think about the Mac in that way in a more, in more concrete terms now than, than maybe we have in the past. And, you know, that's exciting to me. It's exciting to me that, yeah, you could get a base level 14 inch MacBook Pro in college And you could take it to your first graphic design job and it'd be fantastic for years. You know, you're not going to be looking to upgrade every two or three years where maybe in the past, maybe you were.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I I feel like it's so underrated is, is this the the best thing about it is that it's going to be able to last you longer um great example of this is what they were doing with ipad pros starting a few years ago first ipad pro just felt infinitely overpowered like what's all this computing power for why is this so good i can't use any of it but if you bought one which we did we got that first gen of ipad pro i mean it's still running great Mm -hmm. like app not just great but like Flaw- flawlessly. Like it's not the newest. Yeah. It doesn't have all the latest features, but there is absolutely nothing that it chokes on. It, it is completely smooth in every operation and shows no signs of needing to be replaced. And that is <laughs> reassuring, you know, like you want to feel that way when you buy a- any expensive product that it's not going to die on you too quickly. But...
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, like if your budget is a MacBook air, Apple's done such a good job on that end too, that a lot of those same benefits uh, trickle down to that as well, right? Like the ridiculous battery life on the MacBook Air, the longevity you're going to get. Uh, Apple has, I think, really in this transition so far, made the case that the MacBook Air is the best consumer notebook, and now they have the best pro notebook, and they are very different from each other, have different priorities. But wherever you are on that spectrum... There's going to be something for you. And I think there's a little more room there like that. The 13 inch MacBook Pro with the old design and the touch bar is like still hanging out. And I assume Apple will clean that up maybe in the spring. But I, I like that whatever wherever your your needs are today and where you think they'll be in five years, like there's probably a Mac notebook for you now. And again, something that wasn't always the case. Or or if Let's it was the, the case, you'd be penalized somehow for it.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, there's, you, are, you have complete freedom in setting your priorities right now without mm-hmm. any major setbacks. You can get the, the cheapest of them and still do most of your tasks. And each thing that you add, which, you know, what I actually really like is the cost of the processor upgrades is not that substantial it's like uh canadian it was 250 dollars i think for each bump up the the levels of from pro to the bind max to the max um and that's pretty reasonable like that's not an enormous jump it's not like how they've always made ram very expensive or internal storage expensive it was pretty affordable to step up in those but speaking of that i'd love to talk a bit about what people should buy like what, what you know what could we recommend to to different use cases because I don't know. I'm so tempted to say almost everybody should just buy the screen size that they want with the lowest price configuration and just, you know, choose as much internal storage as you think you'll use. And that's all you really need to to think that hard about if you don't do any major production. Is that is that way off? And, and also to, to probably, for most people, avoid the M1 uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro, like the one with the touch bar. I don't see yeah. any reason for anybody to buy that right now.
1: Yeah, that's a dead end machine at this point. Um, yeah. You know, I think I agree with you. I think the the screen size is a really personal decision. And what's really cool about these is you can spec them the same. So you can have like a loaded 14, have the same spec as a loaded 16. Again, not something that's been the case for a really long time with Apple Notebooks. Uh, so yeah, I would say that having... Um, having your your screen size be the first choice and then looking at storage I think is totally the way to go and if you have a, a situation where you have a specific need where you know you're going to be doing something like you know I'm not doing video editing now but I want to like maybe purchase with that in mind but even the base system on a chip is so f- further ahead than anywhere we've been like there's still so much headroom in all of them I think you're totally fine focusing on screen size and and storage space. Totally.
0: If you're wondering about screen size as well, some of my thoughts on that, because I I did spend a while with the 13 inch mm, a few generations back. This was, I don't remember what year this was. This is a while ago, but um, it was at a time that I had a really good iMac, which I'm still using that one. It's like from 2013, 2014. And I had spec'd that up all the way. So I was like, okay, my laptop, I'll make it smaller and more affordable. So it's my compact machine that I can throw in a backpack. I got a 13 inch. And at the time, that also meant a lot less power. I was making some sacrifices. The things to consider in in that screen size is um, I, I mostly ran into issues of not having enough interface space for editing photos and especially videos. What'll happen in Final Cut or Resolve or Premiere, whatever you use, is as you start opening panels, the window to view your video starts getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> smaller and smaller. you can keep working, but it's it gets so small that you're you're not able to see mistakes. And that's been in some of the videos that I, I put released from that era. I would get through the whole edit and realize, like, wait, I never watched this full screen. I only ever looked at it at that, you know. Three Mm -hmm. by two inch uh, preview window. (laughs) And I just wasn't aware that, oh, there's all this banding or, you know, there's this, that shot was out of focus or whatever. Like there's just things I just wasn't seeing. It's the same as sometimes I only monitor and edit listening to my MacBook speakers and I miss some audio problems, right? If you don't look at it big enough, things will be hard to spot. And especially because you need to have controls available. The whole screen isn't always showing you the content that you're working on. So all that, that's all just to say, like, if you're not going to be using an external monitor very often, that's a good reason to go for the 16 inches. Just like, if you just need access to all the stuff in your app at the, at the same time, um, it, it it can be a, a pretty good reason to do it. Uh, but if you are more of a, a Docker where you're, you know, just like plugging into a 27 inch, you know, hopefully, hopefully an Apple 27 inch soon, or the LG, that's what I've been using, um. You know, then the fourteen inches, like you say, going to be amazing because you can spec it the exact same way. So,
1: yeah, yeah. I think the other thing to consider with the uh, the screen size is the that it does come with a battery life difference, right? So I don't think we have a lot of hard numbers yet. The fourteen will get less battery life. Uh, It's just a smaller battery. But the sixteen is literally as big as you can put on an airplane in the United States. Like they can't make the battery any bigger. And so if you're really looking for, like, say in your party list, longevity of battery is all the way at the top, then, like, the base model 16 may be the way to go. It's going to be a little bigger and heavier in your bag, but you're going to get the maximum battery life out of this range of notebooks. And again, we'll see kind of what the numbers are in the coming days, but I would suspect the 16 will probably get, I mean, even if it's looking at Apple's numbers, it does get a good bit more battery life
0: yeah and well so i mentioned this in the video i did uh edit the the entire video on one battery by mistake i wasn't really trying to like i was plugged in as i started like i downloaded the footage plugged in because i thought i was gonna have more time to sit there but then we ended up starting to travel and you know i had to like i was just like checking out and sitting in the lobby and editing on the airplane and just like trying to get this video out and didn't have a chance to charge it again and I was all the way home and still working on it and getting ready to export. I'm like, wait a minute, I still have 30% or, or 26% wow. battery left, which is enough to <laughs> to do the export. Um, this was a pretty simple video. You know, it was in 4K, uh, no crazy effects going on. So we're, we're not that complicated, but it still was, that just wasn't even, you wouldn't even think about it before, right? Like that was not an option. and And now it is so. You will still for sure kill the battery. Like that was, you know, I was closing it in between the whole edit probably only took me, I I don't really know. I shouldn't guess like maybe four or five hours. It wasn't like, you know, 15 hours or something. Um, you're not going to get through a whole day if you're doing production style editing, but you have, again, you have that headroom, you have that safety. And if you're just working on documents, um, you know, and just like making calls or watching Netflix or whatever, it is going to give you that insane battery life that Apple talked about. yeah, I, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm just gushing and to and have so many good things to say about it. <laughs>
1: well, well, let's bring you back down to earth. I mean, is there anything on this machine that sort of takes a little wind out of your cells? Like, are you su- super oh, anti notch yeah. or do the feet bother you? Like, is there something that you would want them to address next time around?
0: I'm really glad you asked that question. Cause it's so hard for me. <laughs> it's hard for me to even think, think straight. Um, but yeah. Okay. So one thing I want people to remember before they pick up this, computer before and it? it's like I'm assuming they've already ordered one. Um, but <laughs> as you watch all these YouTube videos, there can be this feeling of well, feeling of FOMO if you don't have the money to order one right away. It can feel like I, I need this. I need this so badly to to do my my work. And you know I'm not getting one so I'm being left behind. But if I did it would sol- it would solve everything. It would be more or less magic. Just remember like that it's not it's not magic. When you launch it, you know, you launch Final Cut for the first time, you start opening some projects, you still do wait for things. Like there are times where it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm watching a spinner. Um, the it, You saw in the video that in my video, I was doing some Lightroom tests. The software is still really holding us back there. I, I, I'm kind of guessing that it's the software, but it feels like The lack of optimization means that we're not getting the jumps in performance that you would hope for if this was a metal uh, optimized piece of software. And the reality is that we're still working in- What are
1: you you talking about? Come on. Gosh.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. It's like we're still stuck with it. Like, it's either Lightroom or Capture One for most professional work. And neither of them are, you know, they're not like Final Cut. They're not amazing. They're not like if uh, Apple was still developing Aperture. I assume it would be like that. Uh, we do have some great options out there. Affinity does an amazing job and Pixelmator, but I haven't been able to dedicate the time to learn new software. So I'm not using either of them and neither of them have a Lightroom competitor. Uh, there is Luminar, which is, uh, it's it's cool, but it's not targeting professionals. Like it's more about, you know, really high quality hobbyist stuff. So it's not dedicated to this, like this complex workflow that we usually need to to work with. So... We're we are still limited by the the actual software that is important to your work. So um if you happen to be using or, or same with if you're working with Premiere, you're not in Final Cut, then all of this excitement about like, wow, it solved everything may not apply to you because I've heard there is still some stability issues with Premiere in M1 working environments. So it it does run fast, like the optimization is still somewhat accessible to the software, but it's not rock solid and you're you're going to find crashes. Um I know this Sarah Dici has mentioned this that you know Premiere is having a rough time during this transition. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I th- those are some of the things that would still bum me out. It is really large. That is actually that is actually a downside, right? Like I shouldn't I, it enables all these new features, but it is a downside that it's big. Um anybody that was watching me on Twitter before the announcement, I thought the notch was like a dumb rumor that wasn't going to come true i'm like this looks so stupid this can't be possibly people are (laughs) people are making fun of us and then it happened and it uh it is kind of dumb there's okay here's some specific implementation issues with the notch that i do not like um if you're not running in dark mode i think it looks much worse i've just been in dark mode since i got it but there's nothing to just easily completely hide it which is what I would do, like I want to just draw a black line at the top of all my backgrounds now, because when it's black, the notch doesn't exist. You can't see it at all. So if you go into full screen mode, there is an option in settings where you can make your whole top bar completely black all the time. Uh, sorry, it is black all the time if you're in full screen mode, but you can make it so that the menu is visible when, while you are in full screen with that black menu at the top. So it can feel like, oh, the notch disappeared. Everything's completely seamless. But that setting also applies to videos. So now if you full screen Netflix or Apple TV, you still see your menu bar at the top all the time. So it's not a solution at all. Um, so I don't know. It just feels like they've changed something that affects Mac OS quite a bit and not done a lot to you know, really make it feel totally at home in the interface. Um, I, I mean, I still, you've probably seen some of the screenshots where uh, the menu bar expands past the notch. It looks terrible. I think everybody's going to have to install some a utility like bartender now to make sure the right side of your menu bar isn't expanding all the way over to the left. <laughs> I mean, like you could, yeah. you could just have them meet in the middle. I don't know what happens if they collide, but you're going to have to find a way to hide some of those things to the right. Um, so th- there's my gripes. Uh, I'm sure there's more, but.
1: Yeah, I think the, the notch thing, I mean, I, I mine is coming tomorrow. Uh, I would imagine that if you, under the right circumstances, it does fade away, like it does on the phone, right? Like when's I mean, when's the last time mm-hmm. you thought about it on your phone? Um, and I, I imagine too that some of those application developers who are sort of slamming into the side of the notch, maybe there's an opportunity there to rethink your your menu system. Uh, I don't want people to go so far as like to get rid of menu bar items or group them in weird ways. A lot of professional tools just have a lot of menus. But uh, I think there may be some adjustment there on developers' parts, uh, especially on the 14-inch, right, where you've got less horizontal screen real estate, so you're more likely to collide with it. Um, But yeah, Bartender's basically been reversed or locked, like, that guy's going to have a great a great quarter this quarter. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for him.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just saw in the chat as well. Uh, Davey 64 mentioned, you can use an app called top notch to make the notch disappear, which I hadn't seen before. It's specifically made for like iPads, but yeah, there's just this opening in the utilities for like, make the notch as invisible as possible. And it is weird that it came without uh face ID. Like, I think we all agree and we all agree. They're probably just making room for it. Like, I'm sure they would have loved to have it available on this launch, but it was either too expensive or they couldn't make it um, slim enough to fit inside the screen real estate or whatever. Uh, You know, it it still does make the machine look much more modern when it's sitting next to my last generation, like the lack of bezels. It just it feels newer and it feels bigger. And another thing that modernizes it to me, I I do like the rounded top corners of the interface. Um, It just it looks like my iPad like it looks it feels unifying of other Apple products do you think it's weird that the bottom corners are squared off Uh, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that yet
1: I mean I I think I know their reasoning that they're sort of following the contours of the laptop and so as it comes down and meets the keyboard deck you sort of have a hard 90 degree thing
0: I'm staring at it right now but
1: you know I do think the rounded thing is nice. Like I've got a pro display XDR and the bezels are very thin and the outer radius of the display is, is rounded, but the, Mm. the screen itself isn't. And so you have this hard corner and then like two millimeters away or three millimeters away, you have this radius. Right. So I do like that. They're kind of bringing the MacBook pro into like, this is what all the iPads look like. That sort of soft radius. And, it seems like they've done, they've done a good job with it. I don't think having the bottom corners be 90-degree turns, like I don't think that's going to – I don't think that'll bug me. I mean, even as someone who like – iMessage is always pinned in the bottom right corner for me, so I'm always looking like down and to the right. Even then, like I don't think I'm going to wish that they were curved down there.
0: So you bring up the XDR display since you're somebody that has used one. What, what Foolish do you think enough the... to buy
1: one, you can say <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs>
0: well so yeah i don't i don't want to dig too much into your your personal feelings of of you know there being a competing smaller product
1: obviously you still
0: have the obviously you still have the better monitor it is it is an amazing monitor and i'm still jealous of it whether or not you know we have a a good one in laptops now but what is this going to mean like um we have the suddenly a lot of filmmakers photographers, everybody's going to have access to an HDR display, which nobody did before, right? Like yeah. the closest to HDR I had was my phone and it wasn't, it wasn't really that HDR. Like you can't really pres- I, You, you can see it on an iPhone, but it's like, it doesn't stun you. I don't know. I've never been amazed by it. And I honestly end up right. turning it off a lot of the time because I don't love the implementation in software of what they do. And the reason for this, in case anybody comes after me later, it, is basically that there, there are highlights that clip in HDR mode, especially visible. If you are enabling HDR in the photos app on the phone, as you preview some of those images, you can just look at the borders around, let's say there's, you know, the sun or whatever the glowing specular highlight is that is pure white. It will clip sooner. You will see less of a gradual fall off mm-hmm. in HDR mode than in standard definition mode. There is a softer rendition and that's just much more pleasing to me. It, it, that appears to have more dynamic range to me when that fall off is soft. So it's that those little details have made it hard for me to really get excited about the consumer level HDR implementation. And it's also hard to work with. It's hard hard to to mix and master. Um, But okay. So now our professional working machines can now support this. So now uh, in the middle of our final cut workflow, we can decide to bring up those, clipping highlights to those specular highlights, right? Which again, if people don't work with images themselves, usually what you want to be HDR is whatever would always clip. So another good example would be if you film video of waves in the ocean, there's all these little points of light where the sun is reflecting at a hundred percent brightness. You are seeing something more or less as bright as the sun. So of course your camera isn't going to be able to capture it at the same, uh, luminosity is the waves, right? The waves are much, much darker. So it'll always be blown out in all these little points. And if you make those points into the HDR range, so brighter than all the rest of the screen, it can give it this magical sparkle, right? Um, That can be really, really interesting. But we need to all have practice in how to master for that so that it looks natural and it doesn't have that clipping feeling that's always bothered me. So yeah, it makes me optimistic that like, okay, we're all going to be able to spend more time doing this. We're going to be more aware of what our content looks like when we're mastering for HDR and more people will be able to view it because I think a lot of people are going to buy the 14 inch entry model of this as well. So uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just, it's democratizing what formerly only the Stephen Hackett's of the world were able to experience (laughs) on on their big, beautiful uh, monitors. But
1: Yeah. And even having an XDR for, however long I've had it now, like I don't come across HDR content, like out in the world all that often. And mm-hmm. that's going to change. You know, I think one reason it's going to change is that you can just record it with your phone now. And even to, when did they add HDR recording to the phone? Maybe three years ago, two years yeah, ago, two maybe. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was just like, it wasn't a thing most people had access to. So that 12. democratization, like yeah. you said, is important. Um, but I think it will take some time to like for people to figure out like what it's good for, just like everything else, you know, that that has come down the line over the years. Like we'll figure out what it's good for, figure out the do's and don'ts. And we're going to see some pretty bad examples of it probably at first. And then
0: there'll be sort of an accepted. This is the way you do it. Um, but do you uh, have a feeling it- ha- having used the XDR so much, do you feel like you're missing out when you switch back to a regular monitor? Like if you just work on a, laptop monitor or look at a TV or what do do you do? Does it feel less than and worse than because some people are going to have to dock these sometimes. Like even if I get a 16 inch, I want to plug it into my 27 LG sometimes. Am I going to, am I going to start hating that panel? (laughs) I mean, maybe a a little bit.
1: I think the bigger concern there though is promotion, right? If you, if you let the, the refresh rate go up to one twenty and bounce around, you know, as your content demands it, and you plug that thing into an external display, including the XDR, uh, you are not gonna have that experience. And right. and uh, so my my guess is that more people are gonna find that annoying than uh, you know plugging it into a to a non extended dynamic range display. Uh, it's not a deal for me. I am one of those people that high refresh rate makes me feel sick, and so it's off on all my devices. And I will lock my new oh, MacBook okay. Pro to sixty. Um, mm-hmm. So no big deal for me, but a lot of people really like the look promotion, right? Like, basically everybody I work with at Relays, like, yeah, oh, my phone is amazing. It's so smooth, and I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah, when you plug the, that especially into especially
1: on the phone, yeah. oh yeah, because uh, you're you're touching it on the phone, right? Like you are mm-hmm. literally interacting with the pixels. It that feel you know, that's your how your brain puts it together, and so I think that may be a little bit more of a bummer for people who are going to dock it, but um, you know how is the promotion in real life? Like I assume you're not one who your brain vibrates and you have to lie down after viewing it. So no, fortunately Uh, I I am,
0: I'm a motion sick kind of person. Like I do get motion sick with especially like car rides or boats, but it's totally fine for me. Um, I notice it much more on my phone uh, and enjoy it more. And I think like you're saying the touch experience is part of that. Um, there's also more moments on my phone screen where the whole screen is moving all at once, you know, especially when right. apps are launching or closing, or you're scrolling through all of your photos. That's when it, I, I absolutely love it for that. Cause you do it constantly, whereas on the computer screen you know, you see it when you minimize a window, it's very visible. Or, or, you know, if you're in an application scrolling through images again, like those big changes, but there's less opportunities for it to really jump out at you. And very little content is even created at 60 frames per second. So I, unless I feel less passionate about it on the screen and, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd probably be happy to fix this at 60 and it wouldn't bother me as much as where I got used to it on the phone almost immediately. And I never want it to go away on the phone. I, I yeah. really love it there. Um, an idea that I thought was interesting. I like got like to see this. Uh, I think it was on either. Yeah. On Break weekly, Alex Lindsay was talking about horror films uh, in 120 frames per second. And that that's the use case for it. And like, that's actually interesting because you know, a lot of the reason I like 24 is about um, you know, that like the, artistry of cinema like just it feels more authentic to the storytelling or whatever it takes me away in in the right way when i watch slower frame rates on a in a regular movie but with horror you being directly there and having a window that feels like you are only inches away from the action can be very effective and i'm like yeah that's actually interesting (laughs) like that that Mm -hmm. could be a moment where watching 120 would to have an additional effect it's obviously huh. same with sports but i don't watch sports either
1: <laughs> yeah i mean uh look most of the sports world isn't even at 4k yet so you know they've, they've got a while <laughs> yeah, remember a like i think it was it was last year they went to the super bowl and like hdr and it was just a hot mess i mean right yeah we got a ways to go there
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, the what, what do you world. think the, do you think hdr like what, what do you where do you think hdr is going just as like as a person who uses it and isn't you're not producing in it. You have, you know, you have nothing invested in it because so often the things we hear about HDR are either from people that are promoting it cause they're using it. Um, right. or, or the rest of the world is sort of, I think kind of still ambiguous to it, like, or, or doesn't have a strong feeling. Have you developed strong HDR feelings since it's been commonly available?
1: Yeah, not, not really. Uh, we just bought our first TV in like 12 years in our household. So it's, you know, OLED and HDR and it's beautiful. I was like, I was like, I sat and I was like, all right, I'm going to watch some HDR content. Right. And like found something on Apple TV that I knew was, uh, HDR. And like I hit play and I was like, Oh, that wasn't as life changing as I thought (laughs) it would be. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of stuff, you know, it's just, it's just sort of the cherry on top, right? Like if you're watching Ted Lasso, like not many scenes in Ted Lasso, really benefit from that extra dynamic range, right? He's like, most of the time he's just in his office talking about his feelings. And like, I love Ted Lasso, but it's not like dark and moody and, you know. Um, And so, yeah, I'm not as, I'm definitely not on that hype train uh, all that much. And I think, really, I, I think some of the best examples I've seen of it are where it is, it's done... In a, in a, in a, more subtle way. So you're mm-hmm. not, I mean, we've all seen, are you, you've seen the examples. I remember when, uh, the iPhone 10, I think was the first HDR phone that could, that could view HDR. I remember people putting like example reels together on YouTube and you look at some of this stuff and it's like,
0: this looks worse than a normal video. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like, this is a hyper yeah. real in a way that like, is not it looks
0: weird. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so th- that's kind of my feeling too, and and I feel like a lot of people's like tech people are very excited about the idea of HDR, but the actual experience, I find more often the important thing and the reason these screens do look so good and I love them so much is more about the contrast ratio. I think that has a bigger effect. Is the the the, the blacker blacks is a, a stronger impact on making the image look great to me. I think that's a bigger jump in terms of total image quality, whereas um those those pure white whites? Mm, I don't know. Not not yeah. so much. But
1: yeah, and and with the mini LED they're using on these displays or like if you're using OLED on a television, you get the the dropout on the blacks just in part because of the technology of the display. And I think that even undercuts sort of the the need for it a little bit a little bit more. Like even SDR content on my new OLED TV like looks better than it on the lcd because of the way oleds actually work and uh and that i'm really interested to see on these machines too uh, i don't have a 12.9 inch ipad pro but i've played with one with the mini led display and it looked incredible and you know that that may be another thing that when you plug it into another display you're like oh what I thought was actually black yeah. on my project is actually like this murky gray. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what's so important about this stuff is this like this ability to perceive what you're working on. I mean, it's part of the reason having a bigger screen is helpful or having better headphones is good for mastering audio. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's just seeing what you're doing as accurately as you can so that as you shrink it down for other people, like they may, they're probably not going to be watching it at that same level of quality, but they're definitely not seeing a mistake that you made and you couldn't see as you are working on it and actually so yeah this is another big change that i think th- it brings in final cut is now i can work in full quality mode which I, I couldn't before right i always had to have performance mode but it means that i can play the footage and see full sharpness at the same time with all the grading and everything applied to it and it was always before i'd like have to kind of squint my eyes and be like well, it's playing back at half resolution, but I can imagine what this would look like in 4K, but it's not even close. I mean, it's much blurrier and fuzzier. And if you're showing a client something and you're still in the editing suite and you're playing it back in performance mode instead of quality mode, they're like, why is it? I thought it was going to be sharper than this. You're like, No, no, no. Don't worry. After I export it, it's all going to get better. But now <laughs> it's you're just seeing it live. And I don't know. I, the reasons this is exciting—it's not because of the benchmarks. It's not because we're going to have higher scores in Cinebench. It's because we can now do things we couldn't do before. So yeah. let's let's just all remember to the reason that we should be excited about this.
1: Yeah, I mean the the computer really at the end of the day is just a tool, right? To mm-hmm. do your work, to do to have your creative project come into the world, or whatever it may be. And the more capable that tool is, the more you can you can get closer to your vision of what that that project should be right. Like I remember it being so frustrating when I first started out of like, I know what I want something to sound like or look like, but I, I could picture it, but I don't know how to get there. Right. Yeah. And, and then it became for a while. Well, I know how to get there, but man, that like my tools are holding me back. Right. So you start upgrading cameras and lenses and microphones and computers. And I really feel like we've turned this corner in the last couple of years where, you know, I'm, not stressing out my equipment the way that I used to, because I've been able to, and the technology has come down to a a price point where like, yeah, I can like have this nice microphone, have this nice computer. And, and as Apple continues to push this stuff down the range, like that becomes true for more and more people in more and more cases. And like, that's where Apple is at its best, right? Apple at its best is creating tools for everybody to do whatever they want to do with them. And for a long time, Apple just like self-sabotaged that vision on the Mac and they've turned this corner now. And these MacBook pros are a huge part of that story. And so that's why I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited about these machines in particular, but I'm much more excited about the, the another uh, dot on the line we can draw about like the arc of the Mac in the, in the 2020s. And, there are more to come, you know, in the next year or so, but man, like just Apple making really good tools for creative people. Like that's what they do. And yeah. I feel like they finally remembered it <laughs> this time around yeah. with the MacBook pro.
0: There's a really common take in the comments that I, I think is just totally wrong. I've been seeing this across YouTube all day and also on Twitter as they were getting announced, it's like, well, this is all great if you are a millionaire and if you can afford, and this was one of the tweets was like a $9,000 machine, like, I don't even yeah. know if you can spec this to nine thousand dollars. I just think that's that's wrong. That is not the appropriate take. the 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 great thing about this is the it's like, even though I know the base model is not, it is a little bit more expensive. I think it's like one or two hundred dollars more than mm-hmm. they used to be. All the prices did come up a little bit. We didn't get cheaper machines here, but this has made a truly high end pro machine cheaper. It did. It lowered the price of getting effectively. Mac Pro performance the, to to me like th- this has n- meant you can spend less money to get a much more performant mm-hmm. machine, and more people can be working on professional grade projects without spending nine thousand dollars. You know, with without even yeah. spending like you know. I usually think about a baseline of like this is what I, I expect to spend about five thousand dollars on a working computer. That's like the rough budget I always have in my mind. I'm like, yeah, I got to spend that much. Um, that's probably still the budget I need to have available for this this year, but you can do most of the types of work that are expected for basic photo and video production right now with a $3,000 machine, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a $2,500 machine probably. So um, that's much more interesting about this to me than, than the fact that there is a $7,000 configuration that some people might buy, but most people won't.
1: Yeah, Jason Snell in his review of Six Colors was like, it's a Mac Pro you can put in your backpack. Right. And yeah. um and it's true, right? And and as that becomes more true, it also means that those less expensive machines, those consumer MacBook Airs and, you know, iPad Pros and all that other stuff, they also get better and they also unlock capability. You know, at a, at a point that may be behind the curve of the pro machines. But at some point in the future, like a MacBook air is going to be just as good as this MacBook pro is. And the MacBook pro will be even above and beyond that. And so that's really the way that I try to think about it is that, yeah, like this MacBook pro can do everything that you had to have a Mac pro for years ago. So if you were somebody like you, where you guys do a lot of work on the road, like you had to make trade-offs because you couldn't drag a Mac pro around Canada. I mean, you could, but it would be awful. And now you have were, the capabilities in your bag, I, right? And I know there was a time
0: Marquez was huge. doing this. He was dragging an iMac Pro to every, yeah. like, you'd go to CES and you'd bring an iMac Pro because it was too much slower to work on any of the laptops. Because he's shooting yeah. red, he's shooting, you know, four, I don't even know if he's shooting 8K RAW, but say 4K RAW from a red fi- uh, camera is not really workable quickly for quick turnaround on the Intel Max. And now, you don't need to bring that that big uh, iMac Pro box. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten about that. And man, I know I'm just like picturing somebody dragging an iMac Pro in a Pelican case through an airport. That would be terrible. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, never again. Never again. And St- Stephen, thank you so much for sharing this excitement with me. And yeah. speaking of production, you produce a million things. You have so many great Dude. podcasts out there. So, I mean, everybody should be listening to connected and Mac power users and watching 512 pixels on YouTube but I, I can't wait until I bring you back on for whatever they're going to announce next year. Cause I, yeah. I can't imagine where Apple's going right now.
1: We got big IMAX and a Mac pro left to go, you know? So, um,
0: so I mean, I, I blew all my excitement this time, so I don't know what I'm going to say next time.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, you were saying it, we were saying it like the M ones are so good. And they were just the consumer machines, right? Like the Mac, if the MacBook Air is this good, how good will the MacBook Pro be? Well, yeah, now I'm there again, left? right? Like, oh my gosh, like if the MacBook Pro is this good, how good is a high-end <laughs> iMac or Mac Pro going to be? Like who even knows? So the ex- man, we can just stay Bring on the excitement up. train for another year.
0: I plan to. All right, thanks again, Steven.
1: Thank you.